Welcome to the Assembly of Yahweh Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you're here. For more information, you can visit hallelujah.org or download the AOI app on Apple or Google Play. Good morning, everyone. First off, I'd like to thank the Assembly for allowing me to speak. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Kyle Wilkes. I'm married to my beautiful wife, Julie. We have four kids, Brixley, Carver, Reznor, and Bree. Um, we've been married for 22 years. And um, it's my, uh, I guess I, I'm the lucky one that gets to talk about communication. So that's what I'm gonna attempt to do. Uh, but before I get going, uh, in full disclosure, I would like to say I'm not an expert on marriage, as my wife can attest. So um, I do think I've learned a few things over the past 22 years, and um, hopefully what I've learned can help you. But if not, um, I apologize. And like I said, I'm not an expert. Anything I say, there is a 50-50 chance that it will work. <clears throat> you may not know this, but your marriage is all about communication. Communication is something that whether you want to or not, you're going to have to learn to be great at, or your marriage will not be as fulfilled as it could be. Uh, in Genesis 2 and 24, it says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So since all the way back in Genesis 2, women and men have been trying to figure out this thing called marriage. So, I wasn't sure how to present this today, but I simply made a list of 28 things that I believe I've learned over my 22 years of marriage, and I'm just going to kind of go through them, 1 to 28. Now, for some of you who just did the math in your head, you're probably saying, that's only like 1.27 things a year that he's learned. And yes, you're right. I'm a very slow learner, but that's okay. I've been married a long time, so maybe that makes up for it. You don't have to learn as fast when you've been married as long as me. <clears throat> so in no particular order, here we go. Number one, we must be respectful in our communication. This is huge. As parents, our kids watch us, and when they're watching us, uh, they're seeing how we communicate between each other. So when you communicate with your spouse, your kids are watching that. And they are going to communicate with you and your spouse based on how you and your spouse communicate. So to be gentle and respectful um, is a key component to a happy marriage and also in raising kids that grow up to be respectful. Number two, how we set. So like I said, you're always communicating with your spouse. And young couples don't seem to have this problem. But as you age and get older and stuff, you know, there's a, there's a way you set. There's a way that you can let your partner know that, hey, after all these years, I still think you're number one. And you can sit there. It's the way you put your arm around them. It's the way you, you, uh, you hold their hand. It's, it's just a constant communication that we need to be cognizant of. Number three, walking. I've made this mistake. You say, hey, walking's easy. It is easy. But when you're, when you're a couple, a lot of times, um, the way you walk, if you are going somewhere with your spouse or you shouldn't walk 15 feet in front of them like, 
like you're like leading them on, a, on, a, on an anchor or something. That's, that's not, you should walk with them. And hey, it pays dividends on some of these things. And some of these things, I admit, they are not mind-blowing. But in marriage, it's a lot of little things that add up to big things. I honestly believe that. So number four, when you get home, I've done this many times. I feel like I'm better at it. But when you come in the door, you've been gone all day. Your wife has been there with all these kids. And you walk in. Let's think about how we do that. Let's think about when we walk in, do we make a beeline to the bedroom? Don't say nothing to anybody. Do we make a beeline to our easy chair? Do we make a beeline to the backyard? Or do we stop and talk to our spouse who's there? They've been there. They've got this great environment going on. Everybody's happy. And then we show up, which should be a great moment of the day, right? But do we, as the breadwinner, and I have to, I have to just say this up front, most of my comments are going to be coming from my perspective because, like I said, I spent 22 years and all I've learned is 28. I don't, I don't know the other perspective very well. I'm trying. I'm trying. But our attitude of when we walk in is significant of the overall atmosphere that we're going to create in that household that day. And we want then our children and our spouse to look forward to seeing us, seeing us and not be like, oh, man, he, ha- he had a hard day and he's going to come home kicking the cat, right? So number five, and it's a huge blessing. It's a, it's a blessing to me. I've, I, it's, it has been and uh, hopefully it will continue to be. But the communication that we have the ability to do with our spouse throughout the day. Sometimes, I know you guys are all the same. You're, you're driving around or you're doing your daily uh, work. And, you know, it just something happens and you're just like, man, I'm the luckiest person in the world. Um, and I'm not sure why my wife or my spouse is putting up with me and why they love me so much, but I'm lucky. Take out your phone and just send them that text. And it's, it's, it'll just make their day. Just like when they do it to you, it'll make your day. I mean, we have time. We send so many texts all day long. Let, if you send those one little text, just when you're thinking about it, it pays huge dividends in your relationship that you have and your partner's, and your partner's you know, knowledge that, hey, we still got a great thing going here. And even though we're away from each other, we're still thinking about each other. Number six, I know you guys have heard this before. It's the best thing we can do as a married couple is let our kids see how much we love their mom or their dad. It's huge. When your kids see that and they see that, that you love them, that's the best thing you can do for your kids. Number seven, and I've been, I've had to struggle with this, but number seven is confer with your spouse before you commit to stuff. So before you commit time, finances, whatever it is, it's very wise of us to confirm with each other. We are, you know, we're to be one, we're to be a team. And I used to be really bad at this. 
somebody would be like, hey, you want to go do this? Hey, you want to do this? And I would be like, sure, we're in. <laughs> Little did I know we weren't in. So, but I've learned that a lot of times if I want to go do something, if I'll bring my spouse into the conversation early on, I usually wind up getting kind of the way I wanted to do it anyway. Same thing with finances. It's huge, especially in those younger years. You know, you've got to be really cognizant about, you know, the financial decisions that you're making if you're making them like the Lone Ranger. If you're, if you're conferring, then, hey, whatever happens, we both agreed to it. It was, hey, we both, we both like this idea. But if, but if you're the Lone Ranger in it, um, there's going to be some friction there, most likely. <clears throat> Now then number, number eight thing that I, that, I, that I thought about is really key um, to I think the success of every marriage is we must understand where we're the most important. So in, in a work environment, no matter how important we perceive ourselves is, we are so replaceable. We're extremely replaceable. And we feel like, oh, if I'm not there, A, B, and C isn't getting done. I've got to be there. And to some level, you know, there's certain things that you just, you got to get done. But at the macro level, every, every, you're replaceable. But there's a place that we're not replaceable. And that place is inside the family and inside the union of marriage. Nobody can replace you there. You can be replaced pretty much at any other place on the planet but with the bond of marriage, you're irreplaceable. You're the only person that can feel that need and be that person because there's only one of you. You're special. Yahweh made you in a specific way, in a specific manner to be the right person for someone. And if you're that person, you can't be replaced. So when it comes to making decisions on how you're going to spend that time there's sometimes what you have to say, hey, I know it's an issue, maybe at my job or socially or whatever, but I'm going to go spend the time and do the thing that I need to do in the place that I'm the only one who can do it. Because that's the only place that you're truly the only one who can do it. Number nine, remember that marriage is one of the only games that two people play and you both win. It's the true win-win situation. Number 10. And this is another one that um, I, fa I fell at a lot. It took me a long time to learn this one. Number 10. Don't make it a habit to say, hey, it's okay with me. Go ask your mom. So, and this is why. Um, <laughs> so I did that a lot. Like the kids come to you. And, you know, I want to be the fun the fun uncle, you know, hey, I'm a fun guy, you know, hey, oh, you want to jump off the roof? Fine by me, go ask your mom. Okay, but that's a problem because what happens in that situation is you wind up making one of the spouses becomes the bad guy and one of the spouses becomes the good guy. And it's usually the one with the most sense becomes the bad guy and the, the fun uncle Eddie, he's... Hey, knock yourself out. You know, he becomes the good guy. So I've learned through my marriage that you have to say, well, I don't know. Let me talk to your mom. Or I don't know. Let me talk to your dad. 
quite honestly, a lot of times you don't have to actually talk to them, but you want your kids to perceive that you guys are a united front. Because if you don't tell them that, if you, if you always are telling them, I don't know, go ask your mom, I don't know, go ask your dad, I don't know, and you're putting it off, one thing, you're separating them, and you're like making, you're separating them from the team because they're the bad guy. The other thing is your kids pick up real quick. Yeah, you guys aren't always united because you're saying yes and you're saying no. You want to always show your kids that united front. Like, hey, we think the exact same thoughts. Now, as a married person, you know that's not true. But you want to show your kids that it is true by doing that. That's, a, that's something I've learned and, you know, pretty big chance it's good advice. Um, I've heard people say, I've heard people say that, that kids make you closer. And, I, and that is kind of true, but it, they make you closer in that when you start having kids, then what brings you together as a couple is you now have a common enemy and that unites, that unites nations, that unites nations. <laughs> Number 11, this has been one of the best blessings in my life that we've we started doing uh, as a couple. And that is, you know, having, we call them weekly meetings. Most people call them date nights, but... It, you can call it whatever you want. It's, it's where you and your wife spend some time, just y'all two alone. And I understand some weeks you can't do it. I mean, if some life gets in the way, I get that. But it doesn't always get in the way, right? So that you make time to spend those, you know, two, three hours with just you and your spouse where you can discuss what's happening, uh, listen to each other, talk about the kids, talk about plans, talk about future. And when you, and you do this on the regular, it really reminds you why you got married and, and that you're a team. It, it plays huge benefits, something simple, but, uh, but you do have to be consistent with it and you do have to make it a priority, I believe. Uh, the number 12 thing, totally my opinion. I don't know if this is accurate at all, but just from my experience and what I've seen in, in my life is be very cautious of couple of like girls nights and guy nights. I'm just throwing that out there. Be cautious of that. Um, I'm not saying it's a big deal all the time, but just especially as a young couple, I would caution you on doing a lot of, of guys only, girls only type stuff. You know, go out in couples. That would be my advice. Take it for what it's worth. Um, number 13, don't make, no, I really had a problem with this one, but when you go out in public, right, you're a team, you're, you're one, be very careful about making jokes at your spouse's expense. So it's just, uh, you gotta be careful about that. <laughs> Uh, so when, you know, when you're out in a group setting, it's so easy. Mar you know, marriage is, you've got to have a level of, of humor in your marriage, but you don't want to have a level of humor that hurts your marriage. You know, so that's my advice on that. Be very careful. You don't want to walk over any lines because what happens when you do that is there's a level of trust that gets broken when you do that. 
And they don't know, like, if I say something, you're just going to, like, make fun of me in front of all these people? Like, I thought we were on the same team here. So you be careful of that. Kind of in that same line, number 14. Um, if your spouse is telling a story or is saying something, and there's a lot of details, like she says or he says the car's gray and it was blue, don't correct them. Don't, cor- that it, don't correct them. If they say, oh, yeah, it was 1.30 and it was 2.30 and it has no material, you know, play in what they're saying, don't correct them in front of people. It breaks down their confidence. It makes them feel like you're trying to like, I don't know, be, be rude. I mean, it is rude. So I had to learn that the hard way. Y'all can learn it the easy way. Be careful about when you're doing that. It's bad manners. Now, if they're saying that Joe Bob robbed, robbed the bank and really it was Billy Crystal, I mean, that, you would want to say, hey, wait a second, it was a different guy. That's, that's material. That's acceptable. But I would be cautious on that. So number 15, um, so 15 of the 28, 15 is, is pride. Pride gets in the way, it got in my way a lot. So pride gets in the way, when you've done something, you don't want to have so much pride that you can't go to your spouse and say, I'm sorry. You don't want to think so highly of yourself to say, oh, I can never be wrong. Even if I am wrong, I'm not wrong because, well, I can't give in. Or what, whatever your reason is, trust me, when you live with somebody for all the time, there's a lot of opportunity for you to be wrong. And the best way to fix that is to quickly say, you know what? I'm sorry about that. And it still may take them a moment or two to fully you know, say, well, it's okay. But don't, don't let pride get in the way of that. 16. Notice all the little things your spouse does. There's a massive amount of little things that your spouse is doing for you that you need to recognize. And when I say recognize, mention it. Because if you're just walking in your closet and going, wow, all of these clothes are folded. This is fantastic. I'm tr- uh, sorry. I was trying to figure out if I'm the 30 or if I'm the 15. Uh, so if you, when I say, I might just pick it up a little bit. So, but 16, when I say notice all the little things, say thank you, mention them. Hey, I noticed the house was really clean. That was awesome. Or, you know, hey, you picked up the milk when you came home from work. Appreciate that. That was awesome. So notice all those little things and thank them on the little things and they'll do big things for you. 17. One of the things that I figured out uh, a long time ago, I did actually master this one early on. It's one of the few. Um, is find things that you and your spouse commonly enjoy. Don't find stuff that only one of y'all enjoy and the other one's just kind of doing it. Goes, oh, man. Right, but find things that you commonly enjoy, and then both of y'all kind of do those together. That's been huge in our relationship. Like later on in life, and I just kind of stumbled into it. I figured out, hey, you know, I was getting into bow hunting, and I figured out my wife really liked bow hunting, which was a shock, you know? I had no idea. 
So, but now that's one of the best weeks that we spend together is the week that we go hunting with our bows. Sometimes, sometimes I don't kill anything. She always kills stuff, but I don't kill anything, but it's still a great week because it's a, it's a common thing that we both like. When we were younger, um, you know, we didn't have any kids and we were broke. We got married. I made $11 an hour and I literally thought I was pretty rich, honestly, uh, so $11, and we were both going to live on it, and we had a little apartment in Cisco. It was, actually, that wasn't when we had the apartment. No, we had, we had a little FEMA trailer that we lived in. And uh, it was a great little trailer, I will say. Uh, anyway, we took this job. Ferris had mercy on us, and he said, hey, you know, if you guys want to make some money, you can take this tractor oil change um, and greasing job. So on Sundays, we would get in my, our little half ton and we would drive all over the Metroplex and she did all the greasing and then I would change the oil and change the filters in these tractors and they were paying us like, I don't know, 35, 50 bucks a tractor and it was great money for us. I mean, we felt like rich and it, we were doing it together and though it was kind of a, I mean, it was a dirty job, but, but it built bonds. Like even if you're both, when you're sweating and bleeding, and you're putting your plow, your, both your hands on the same plow, it bonds you together. So there's so many opportunities to do those things, and it did. Now, I will say one day we were very disappointed. Uh, we were driving back, and we had the 55-gallon drum of oil in the back of my truck, and we had finished the day making tractors. And we probably, you know, we probably made 300 bucks that day oiling these tractors. And we're coming back, and I hit the brakes, and like the back of your truck is all oily, when you're changing oil and tractors, and that 55-gallon drum just came slamming to the front and kaboom, just blew out, blew out our back windshield. That day wasn't very profitable, but <laughs> even those things, so we actually wound up losing $200 on that one, uh, but even on those things, there's a bonding that goes on. She didn't look at me, to her credit, she didn't look at me and go, you idiot, why didn't you tie this barrel down? She didn't, she just, we just looked at each other and said, Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and also, if you're, if you're about to starve, that will, and yeah, that will also bond you. So you want to get that. It's always nice to have a job if, when you're hungry. Number 18. Um, number 18. So number 18, it's build each other up. So Everybody's, when you get married, it's one of the most important decisions you'll ever make, as everybody knows. Um, and the life path you're going to go on is going to be overwhelmingly determined by the person you marry. Um, there's the thing called the Michelangelo effect. So Michelangelo, before he makes these beautiful statues, right, what he starts with is he starts with this massive stone, this piece of rock, right? There's this big piece of rock there. Now, is the beautiful statue inside that stone? For sure it is. It's in there. It's just not in the right shape, right? That's kind of how people are when they get married. Like, there's this stone, and your spouse and you are going to shape the other one, and they're going to push and pull and make the other one. They're either going to speak, speak good things into them, or they're going to tear them down, Right? So what we want to do is when we get through with this big old stone, we want to have 
chopped and chiseled and made this thing the best it can be. We don't want to go the other way and just ground this big stone into a bunch of powder and just, you just, you want to build each other up. And, uh, you know, in marriage, sometimes life is frustrating. Sometimes marriage is frustrating and sometimes you don't feel all these wonderful feelings. That's just the reality of life. But overall, we got to be careful about the words we say and we got to make sure that we are encouraging and building each other up. Number 19, um, number 19, don't buy your wife a cordless drill for her birthday. Just saying, number 19, don't do that. That's just, uh, you know, mistakes you make, you learn lessons. Number 20, if Yahweh is not the goal, I'll go back to 19 for half a second. So the reason I told you that is in my year, so I thought it was a great idea. Uh, so I had heard her mention, you know, she's pretty handy, you know, around the house and stuff. So I'm like, I heard her mention one time, ah, oh, we had one cordless drill. This job would be so much easier. Boom. I'm listening. Good husband. So I'm like, okay, birthday's coming up. I splurged and bought one of those cordless Dewalt drills. I even wrapped it. And it's her birthday. And I'm like, hey, baby, here's a birthday present. I gave it to her. She tried to fake it at first, like, oh, a drill. This is great. And she kind of went with it. But I could tell because of my spotty senses, I was like, hmm, she's not excited. A little bit later, she just kind of like told me, you know what? I don't like anyway, we had this, this educational talk, which brought me here to where I am today. And that's an okay thing to buy. It's just that's an inappropriate time to buy it for her. If I'm just like randomly, hey, I bought you this, it'd be great. But as like the keynote prize at her birthday, not acceptable. So just be cognizant, you know, I would say probably, you know, brooms that have people's initials on them would also be out of line. Don't do anything like that. Anyway, I made that mistake. I just didn't want anybody else to make it. Number 20, Yahweh, your faith, to, to hit the pinnacle of, of your marriage abilities, you have to have Yahweh first in your life. You have to. And the reason is, is because no matter if you want to be united or not, if you are both going that direction and y'all have a target, the biggest problem in, in most organizations is there's not a clear target that they're shooting at. If you don't have a clear target, you're going to miss. But when you put faith, your faith, and that's truly both of y'all's number one priority, you can't help but come together like two rivers. Like, you're not, like, there's a lot of ways to come together. You've seen two cars come together. That's not what we want. We want two rivers flowing the same direction. That's what we want. And when, when you have your faith as the number one, everything else flows beautifully together in your marriage. There's still, you know, you're still going to have ups and downs, but more ups than downs. So something else um, I discovered, uh, and I actually discovered this more watching my dad than Maybe, uh, the most, actually, I mean, I, I think I do a good job, but it's up for debate. Uh, so one thing I've noticed in marriage is sometimes as the father, those little kids, so you've got these great moms, like we're all married to these great mothers, right? 
and they've got all these kids. Well, these kids are constant needy little guys and gals, and they just want, 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 want. So sometimes as a father, you've got to step in and say, okay, stop, okay? Your mom's not getting up from the table and going and getting you something to drink. Go get yourself something to drink, right? Like, your mom is not your slave here. And, but, they, but they just give, and they give, and they give. And after a while, they just come back, and they're just frazzled, okay? And you don't want your spouse to be frazzled. You want bliss. So sometimes... You have to just put the kibosh on it. That's number 20. If you, number 22. This is important. It's short, you know, but it's important. If your spouse offers a breath mint to you, take it. Simple advice. Simple advice. Okay, so 23 is actually something that I want to publicly take back from something I told I said one time, a long time ago, in a message, still regretting that message. Brent reminded me of it, and I was like, oh, man, I was hoping they'd forget that. The bad thing about recording messages. So um, I gave a message one time that I was like, hey, maybe, you know, you know it's, it, I can't remember what it's called, but it was something like uh, minimum effort, maximum results. So it was, you know, we all, hey, I'm, we're learning. That's what I was saying earlier. Like, I'm still, still learning here. So in that message, I said, I said that uh, if you can convince your wife that you don't really know how to do certain things around the house, then you won't have to do them. Like, I don't really know. That can, oh, I'm so confused on this dishwasher here. How's all the buttons? And, you know, so you screw it up a couple times, and then they're like, oh, it's easier for me to do it myself. Okay, that, so I was, you know, it was a joke, but it was kind of what I did. Um, so I'm telling you today, I have learned that if your wife thinks that you're the most handiest guy in the world and can fix and solve all these problems, you get way better results. And so I want to just walk that back. I want to publicly say that that was incorrect and you should not do that. So 24, it's going to take a little bit long to talk about 24 because it's a little technical, but I think it is actually really good advice and it will, it helped me once I finally figured this out. It just um, okay, so I don't know if, so your spouse a lot of times, and this is totally from a, a man's point of view, as you'll see, but number 24 is when your wife asks you a question um, and she comes to you and like, let's say it's Sabbath morning and she comes to you and she says, do you like this shoe or do you like this shoe? Okay. Yeah, it, seems to be, it used to be a simple answer, I thought. So, but what, what she's, she's not, she doesn't really care which shoe you like. So forget that. She's asking you that question to confirm that she's right. That's what you're there for. You're just going to confirm that you're right. And in some way you're going to say, oh, we're on the same page. And they get this feeling that we're on the same page. I'm confirming that I'm right. So, which is great. Now, if you're looking at both shoes and you're like, um, uh, I don't know. That's the way I was. But you don't want to just necessarily just straight away answer that question. What you want to say is you want to ask them, which one do you like? Don't answer the question immediately. Ask them the question. Because a lot of times they're going to hint to you a little bit about which one they like. Or they're going to give you additional information. They're going to say, well, this one hurts my foot. Okay. I've narrowed it down to I'm thinking I'm liking that other one. Or she's going to do this one I think matches better. Well, okay. I'm 
thinking I like this one. So if you ask them that question, you're going to get additional information. Other thing, which if they have two, if they put the shoes on, if, the, if this one's flat-footed, don't choose that one. Always choose the one they tippy-toe. That's the one they want in their head. So I'm just giving you some advice. Take it for what it's worth. It could be useless. Remember, and if all of that fails and you're left, which they didn't give you any, they stone-faced you, they didn't give you any additional info, they're looking at you, you then you're playing the 50-50 game, right? So then you just have to pick. So you're going to pick. Let's assume you're wrong. You're not completely sh- you're not completely dead yet. You still have a chance. So at this point, what you want to do is you're just going to wait a little bit. You know, not too long, cause, but wait a little bit. And then you're going to come back and you're going to say, wow, baby, you were right. That one does look better. That's what you're there for. You're there to confirm they are right. That's 24. It'll save you. It'll save you just that little, little bit of friction. I'm just trying to let you understand that. <clears throat> the other one, I mean, it's just, a, I'll just kind of go into it. I think we have time. Uh, the other one, it's slightly like that. When they say, do you remember what I wore last week? Did I wear this last week? Well, I used to be like, oh, man, I'm married to you. I should know what you wore last week. I used to like panic when I was younger. Which, did I wear this last week? Because I thought I was supposed to know the answer. No, you didn't solve it. But I would go, Oh, man, let me see. I think, yeah, you were wearing a bluish, greenish, but it had some lavender. Like, it could have been black, dark. Oh, what was that? I would try to answer the question. Don't answer that question. You just simply say, baby, I don't know. All I know is you looked amazing. And they're like, okay. And get you off the hook on that question. I'm just saying. Okay, number 25. And this is kind of close to another one, but constantly remind them how special they are to you, how they're the only one that can be them. Verbalize it over and over and over and over, and you'll have huge benefits because they're, they're ju- honestly, they're just like us. We are the same way. They want affirmation. They want affirmation. I want affirmation. Like, hey, I'm important. When you tell them that kind of stuff, then what you tell them and what you speak into them, that's what they're going to become. If you tell them they're amazing, they're going to be amazing. They do what you say both ways. You speak up to your partner. So speak up to them. That's number 25. Number 26 um, is, okay, I have, been, I have failed at number 26 a lot, which is kind of how I learned this. I, got, I think I got better at it. That's, like I said, up for debate. But number 26 is when your spouse um, is pregnant. When your spouse is pregnant, we need as, 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 obviously, as a man, you're not the one pregnant. So as your spouse is pregnant, we need to understand that they are dealing with this every day. Like this is, the thing that they are literally growing and building every day. It's what they think about when they wake up. It's what they think about when they lay down. This is everything for nine months. 
And all they're asking us to do is to participate, not just in the beginning and the end, but in the middle. That's where we need to participate. So when we come in, you're going to get a lot of mileage out of this. If the first questions are, how do you feel? Hey, how's the baby? How's this? How's that? And you start engaging on that level, you're going to get a lot of mileage. And it's the right thing to do. And it brings you closer together. It can be the thing that you're doing that you're talking to together. It's a beautiful thing. They want to read these books. They want to see what type of fruit your kid is this month. Right? Hey, I want to too. You just, it's just part of it. You got to get in there and do that. And you'll, you'll be rewarded a lot. Uh, look at that, you know. I kind of had to learn that over the time. I was like, this is, this is a big deal. 27. It kind of goes back to a lot of stuff we've been talking about. You've all heard sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, obviously, we know that's not true. We know that words are very, very detrimental. There's some things we say, first talked about it last week, some things that you can say in a moment of anger that are almost impossible to get back. So guard, we got to guard our tongue as husbands and wives and not say things that you can't recover from. You've heard everybody say that, you know, don't ever go to bed angry, which is the greatest advice. I mean, it's great advice, but it's, you know, kind of hard, hard to do sometimes. So like, it's going to happen. You're going to go to bed angry. Uh, Y'all guys may not have that problem, but you know, it happens sometimes. But what I would say is, if you get up first thing that next day and tr- make an attempt to get over it, bring your spouse coffee, do something, try to get over it. You want to try to get over those things as early as possible so that you can go on and live in the marital bliss that you typically have. But you don't want, you don't want anger to just, to just stay in your house. So, you know, what? You, you see people who come from homes where, like, anger happened all the time, like, Everybody was just mad constantly, and it, there, was no, there was no, like, stop. Because there's going to be conflict, but there's got to be an end to the conflict. Everybody knows in every relationship there's a start to the conflict, but you have to end the conflict. Anyway, so I'm just, I'm just cautioning you on don't let whatever it is linger out in that land too long. Uh, 28. Um, 28 is... When you forgive, forget. So when you say, I forgive you, either, either spouse, when you say, I forgive, okay, well, then that's over. You can never bring that up again. It's done. You said you forgave them. There's a level of trust there that what you say is right, and we're being honest with each other. When you say those things, mean it. Don't pile them up over here in the corner, and then one day decide, you know what? He did that one. And even though I forgave him about it, I'm going to bring it up because it helps me in this moment of anger. If you forgive, you got to push that and you got to not bring it up anymore because that's the only way you can really move on from the hurts because there's going to be hurt in a relationship that lasts a lifetime. There's going to be some valleys. Don't hold those against your spouse. Yahshua taught us that. He didn't hold didn't hold our sins against us he gave us a way to get over those you know we gotta let's learn to forgive each other and move on and that will also 
help your kids and their family life, I believe. Well, I'm coming to the end, as most of y'all guessed because Walker came up here. But communication, I think, is probably the key to living a fulfilled marriage. It's, it's the heartbeat of the marriage. It's the flow of the marriage. If there's constant communication, you're going to have a pretty fulfilled marriage, I think. Obviously, it takes love. It takes sacrifice. It takes a whole myriad of things, you know, and you've kind of got to try to be halfway decent at all of them. But I think if you'll focus on marriage, a lot of the other things will start just falling in place. And that's what I've found. And, you know, I, I said there was basically 28 things to a great marriage. Obviously, there's millions of things. Um, I just know 28 of them. So uh, anyway, I hope this is helpful. I appreciate your kind attention. And Yahweh bless you.